In the classic book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the author C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian, uses the image of Aslan's resurrection as an image for the resurrection of Jesus on the cross. And he uses the language of time going backwards. And this isn't some Christopher Nolan style tenet time travel. When, when C.S. Lewis used this, this language of time going backwards, he was talking about how the cross and all that accomplished was intended to kind of restore humanity to our original state, to restore us as how we were meant to be, who we were meant to be, how we were meant to live in the Garden of Eden, as we read about in Genesis 1, and that Emmy and Russell Crowe unpacked for us a few weeks ago in this series. You see, before humanity uh, sinned, before humanity broke their relationship with God, there was unity. There was good. There was there was togetherness, wasn't there? And then since then, we saw this division come in between man and God, between man and woman, between tribes, between nations, all this division and war and strife that we still see around Mm. us today. Mm. And today we want to get back to our roots. We want to work out who we were called to be in God, in that creation story. And we're digging into Genesis 2 today, some other passages throughout the Bible. And it's fascinating in Genesis that we see God describe creation as very good. He looks around and said, this is very good. And the one time that he says this was not good is when we read of man being alone. And that's where we pick up our passage today. Genesis 2, verses 18 to 25. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh, and she will be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why now a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they became one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Yeah, and nestled in the middle of that passage, I guess, is like this nugget that kind of causes a bit of confusion, a bit of controversy. Um, and I think that's the phrase suitable helper, right? Yeah. So this is the, the original intention for why God created man and woman and, and the identity spoke over them right from the beginning. And right nestled in there, in our lovely English language, yeah. is the phrase suitable helper. Yeah. Yeah. When I hear that phrase, I think of uh, kind of like almost like an arranged marriage you know like someone like you see in like like pride and prejudice like oh, you're, you're a suitable suitor for my daughter <laughs> and, things like this. and then like helper i think of like a maid so it's, it's not it's, it's it's it doesn't sound equal is it there in that in no that I, th- I think there's like a lot of ways in which you can interpret that you yeah. know like it's kind of like the robin to the batman or just there yeah. to assist maybe polish his shoes and make his dinner like yeah. like the purpose being like to bring comfort to Adam's life because, you know, he's on his own and, and maybe he could have done with a buddy. But I think when we when we look back at the original language that was used, which was Hebrew, because it's in the Old Testament, right at the beginning, we, we see these words that actually, they have a much more powerful meaning than yeah. that kind of wishy-washy, suitable helper. Yeah. Um, and that's where we come across this wonderful word called Ezer. And Ezer is the word helper in this case. But it can be defined rather more accurately as kind of like a rescuer, a, um, someone who uh, to save, to to be strong. It's like this much more yeah. powerful image. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, man and woman both created in the image of God. And this word helper, Ezer, is used to describe God a couple of 
a few times throughout the, the Bible and we see particularly in the Psalms. So in Psalm 33, um, we see that the phrase easy used as our easer and our shield. So there's kind of that protective element yeah. to the easer. And we see my easer and my deliverer in Psalm 70. So there's kind of that sort of, you know, like swooping in and saving the day yeah. kind of element to an easer. It's like much more of a Wonder Woman image than, than you know, a, a made to cook your dinner. And But there's still this suitable element, right? Mm-hmm. So that, so that can still kind of make out whether it's, yeah, the, the, the polishing of the armor or whether it's like actually swooping in on the battlefield and, and helping out alongside. So this suitable word is called Kenegdu. And forgive me if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, but that is how we're saying it. That's today. what we're going with today. Yeah, Kenegdu. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, it, it can mean suitable. It can mm-hmm. mean comparable. It can mean fit. Um, fit is in like hot, attractive. Speak for yourself. The root word of connectu is neged. And that's where we get this, this kind of image of opposite or parallel. So there's, there's in this imagery, this kind of like interdependency between man and woman. It isn't like opposing, but it's kind of like mutual and working together. Something parallel almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like side by side almost. Um, and later in Hebrew, we see this word kind of develop into neged or keneged, sorry. And which means equal. And so then we end up with this, this word connecti, which we find, um, in this passage. And, and that's kind of culminates in sort of standing boldly opposite. So we have this strong image of an ezer. And then we have this, this connectu which is sort of setting it in context with with how that strong image sits alongside Adam sits alongside the man um and the professor R. David Freeman sort of says that women are a powerful equal to man that's kind of how he he unpacks this sort of language mm. that's definitely that Wonder Woman with Superman rather than like you say Robin with Batman it completely yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that whole, that that flips that whole passage on his head, doesn't it? So it, we're not reading in Genesis two of like you say, Adam struggling by himself and then someone coming in just to sort of you know tidy up after him and help name some animals. Yeah, it's like some yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like a compa- it's like a companion that mm. is f- for everything. Like you say, it's a companion for, for for the everyday things in life. A companion for for battle, for war. That image of rescue, save strong. I think of military. I think mm. of like a warrior. Mm. I mean, yeah. I don't think of like you say a timid sidekick or anything like that it doesn't have the connotations of like a nice to have it's kind no, of no, like no. An, essential. an essential yeah, partnership yeah, yeah. Um, between the sexes you know this this goes beyond just being man and wife this is this is men and women working together at their best and the image that comes to mind for me really is like the the proverb in proverb 27 where it's iron sharpens yeah. iron yeah. um and that's a brilliant image for friendship but you know you, you might hear it quite often in like a, a man's conference or something but like i think well, that's... How, many, how many men's conferences have you been to just to clarify never dabble <laughs> but it's this brilliant image that i think you know if if at its core of marriage and at its core of the the relationships between men and yeah. women is friendship i think that image it can kind of be drawn out quite nicely in how an Isa is presented and how adam is presented in this yeah. very early early part of creation yeah definitely and i think just say with this passage it, with adam with adam and eve and, and eve being created as this Isa connected that isn't created as you know it's not we're not talking about husband and wife here. Yes, mm. we are, but we are talking more than that. It's men and women. So this, yeah, that iron sharpens iron. I think you I think you bang on with that. Like that isn't, you know, that is a brilliant application for friendship and, um, like I say, strength one another, encourage one another, support one another. But it is a relationship between men and women. That's what we're called to. That's a beautiful image, isn't it? I think of like that kind of sense of sparking off each other and that sort mm. of. Mm-hmm. There, there is that sort of tension, but it's not like a, an opposition. So no. much we see that we in culture is opposition between men and women. Yeah, I think the standing boldly opposite 
it kind of you know men and women do have different perspectives on things yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. they have different life experience and and i think it's that working in in a real like strong kind of partnership um, yeah. that we see in this in this initial identity that god speaks over women when when he's creating them to to be that suitable helper um it's it's a really strong image to, to start yeah, yeah. and I, I was just thinking as you were saying that like in in our marriage so we've been married two and a half years and i would say like we've been at our best Mm. um in kind of leading things and doing things together and like you know managing work family dynamics all just all just the stuff of life when, when we've been in that position of kind of like parallel opposite when yeah. i was gonna say when you've been the wonder woman to my superman oh, but <laughs> we can cut that one out maybe um but yeah that sense of like working together rather than kind of being opposed or setting into like maybe stereotypes or expectations of what we think we should be. We're at our best as a couple, we're at our best as, as men and women when we work together, when we kind of fight together for a common cause rather than fighting against each other, which is literally what happens, isn't it? As soon as Adam and Eve eat from that tree in Genesis 3, as soon as we the fall of humanity happen, men and, uh, when I say men and women are separate from God and then they're separate from one another, they're in opposition to one another. So it's so important isn't it, to come back to that original picture of men and women, that suitable helper, that companionship, that kind of joint mission and fight together. Yeah. I love that. It's great. And what's so surprising about how that that initial kind of um, language used over women can be sort of lost or forgotten or kind of diluted yeah. is actually in the Bible, when, when we look at the characters that it picks out that are female, like there's so much of those characteristics that we see in them, in the way yeah. they, they work alongside people, in the way they kind of join the 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 tour of Jesus and all the disciples and you know how how they're really active and like yeah. central part to to yeah the whole bible story yeah yeah i mean i mean i think of um deborah in judges 4 and 5 one of the the leaders of israel one of the civil and military leaders um, and she kind of takes over she takes she takes the reins when the people of god have been oppressed for 20 years they've been at war with those around them um, and she's someone who ends up leading him into this big battle where she kind of sends that commander um, Barak, he's called, no no relation to Obama. And um, she says to him, go and lead, them, lead the Israelites into battle, fight, go for it. And he says, I'll go if you come with me. And if that's not an image of an suitable Isa, you know, yeah. can I do I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Deborah gives people the strength to stand when they've lost all faith. And we see her triumphing in, in, in battle. She's one of the few judges in the whole book of Judges uh, who doesn't get like a negative reputation. Mm, she? Most of them. No, no, no. You think about like Samson and, and, and Gideon and Jephthah um, who will have some kind of like moral failure or, or, or criticism of them. She doesn't get that. She has this incredible story of triumph and victory. Um, she was a brilliant leader. She was wise. She was level headed. She was great in a crisis. And, um, as we were, as we were sort of talking about it this week, I was thinking about, um, in early in coronavirus uh, crisis, wasn't it? We heard about how all the nations that were doing better were, were led by women. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that was just, you know, like some sort of like anecdotal clickbait stuff. But I just became an absolute fangirl of Jacinda Ardern. That's oh, what yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, New Zealand did very, very well. <laughs> Me and the rest of the mainstream media. <laughs> yeah. We love a bit of Jacinda Ardern. But you know what? It shouldn't be a surprise that that's still the case, isn't it? It yeah. shouldn't be a surprise when, I still feel like there's something where we kind of see a woman leading and we're like, oh, well done to you. You can do it. You know, clap, clap, that sort of stuff. But actually, no, like this is in Judges, right at the start of the Bible, we see women leading as connected Jesus in strength, uh, in, in delivering their nation from, from kind of oppression and from, and from battle. Laurel Stone, who's a kind of a women's rights activist and uh, has read into peace building processes, um, shared with the UN Security Council a few years ago uh, that when women are included in peace building processes, we see the possibility that violence will end within the year by 24%. So normally peace building processes often in history have been carried out by men because it's been men that have been in positions of leadership in, in political arenas and that's still obviously like the kind of the higher percentage today. 
But when women are included in that peace-building process, we see that massive impact upon the violence ending. You know, when lives are on the line and countries are at war and families are turning into another, that's not a situation that's too intense for a woman. You know, women can handle the pressure of that. Like, um, I feel like I shouldn't have to say that, but we do, don't we? Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's still what we see today. Yeah, between 1992 and 2019, uh, 75% of peace processes didn't include a woman in the room. So that's why it's important to have that. That's why it's important that we see this kind of connect to ease thing that we yeah. see modelled by Deborah. Still yeah. valid today, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's not just in the world of, of civil and, and military leadership. When we look through the Bible, we see Lydia in Acts 16. She's a businesswoman. You know, um, Paul has a man, a dream about meeting a man in Macedonia. But then when he gets there, he finds out it's, it's a woman instead. And she invites him to stay in, into our home. It's a little bit scandalous because she's a woman. Um, but she persuades him and a church is planted. And that kind of opens opens up the frontier that that is now modern day Europe and yeah. we see that she's a really like mission-minded businesswoman and, and this this these characteristics aren't just found in Lydia they're found in um, the trio that is Joanna, Susanna and Mary we find that in Luke 8 and they travel with Jesus they're kind of bankrolling the mission of Jesus they're business savvy they're adventurous and um, they knew how to make money and Jesus mm. didn't have an issue with like being bankrolled by them you know if they bought his yeah, bread yeah, yeah. he's not going to complain about it um but despite this image that we see throughout the Bible and that Jesus didn't have an issue with, um, despite this fact um, that he didn't mind women taking on that role of being financially savvy, mm-hmm. again, in the reality we live in today, that's still not the image that is spoken over women. That's still yeah. not the, the permission that is given. It's still kind of... Um, an exception to the rule if, if women are found flourishing in those environments. And I want a little bit of interaction here. Okay. Whether you're by yourself or with others, maybe pop your guesses in the chat, but I want you to guess, ask the person next to you if you're in a room of more than just yourself, how many female CEOs are in the FTSE 100? So these are kind of the, the 100 businesses in the UK with the highest market values in the, the list of 100. How many? of those CEOs are female. Share your guesses, have a have a think, how many out of 100? I'll give you a few seconds. Maybe some of you are on the, on the fence between a couple of figures. Now I'll let you know that the number in the FTSE 100 of female CEOs is five. Now, let's make the list a little bit longer, right? Before we're too shook by that figure. <laughs> The list a little bit longer, the FTSE 250, so 250 of the highest valued businesses in Britain. The FTSE 250, how many female CEOs are in that list? So it's more than twice the length, right? How many? Maybe pop it in the comments, have a little think. Okay, so drum roll please, the figure is five, yes. There are more CEOs in this list called Peter than there are women. And yet the characteristics of being, you know, savvy, adventurous, entrepreneurial, business minded, you know, it's not not an issue Jesus has. And and it ties into that strong image that that is spoken over women right in creation. But we have a society where, you know, we're we're kind of categorized and, and our gifts and our authority is really limited and divided between the sexes. But this wasn't the original intention. Yeah, we, we also see in the New Testament in um, for our Acts and, and Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Timothy in the letters of, of Paul, we, we hear of Priscilla. 
who's who's a woman that led the church with her husband Aquila. Um, she's she's mentioned alongside him. She's often mentioned first in different places in the Bible. Um, she's she's not the afterthought. She's not the sidekick. She's one woman to the Superman. It doesn't Again. say Aquila and his wife. No, no, no. Exactly. <laughs> she's named. She's given that you know that Thank kind of Lord. yeah that 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 title. Um, she clearly led with him. Like I said, she's mentioned together, and they led a house church network. Um, that, that that Paul wrote with and, and spent time with them, and he thanks thanks God for them in his letters and things like this. Um, they're kind of like the Michelle and Barack of the of, of, of the New Testament, if you like. Doesn't work perfectly because he was actually president, but you know, I consider them in equal esteem. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, she, exactly. She, you know, they're better than Michelle and Barack because she was leading with him. Um, they stood equally together, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is these images are perhaps a more accurate representation of of the kind of personality, the the kind of gifts that that God wants to use women for, that that God wishes upon women, that God intended for women. You know, Jesus doesn't have an issue with women who know how to make money and want to be adventurous and entrepreneurial. And we see God working through Deborah. You know, she understood the law. She's in a powerful position. She's a mother and a prophet and a judge and a warrior. And like, it's matching that up with what we see today. And we don't see that original intention for those two sexes. Yeah, yeah. And that's a brilliant list of, of easiest in the Bible, but we've not even had time to reference Mary and Martha and, and Hagar and Holder and Miriam and Phoebe and Junior. Uh, all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see women with these characteristics of strength, of intelligence, of yeah. adventure and ambition. Men, uh, women, sorry, who stand boldly opposite men as these kind of easier connectors. And Scott McKnight, this American um, theologian and author, asked this brilliant question of, do women in your church do what Miriam, Deborah, what Holder, Priscilla, Junior and Phoebe did? Do they do what Jesus encouraged women to do? Which I think is just a great kind of connection of these, these life stories yeah, that we yeah. see throughout the Bible and, and the reality that we live in today. Um, but we would be mistaken, right, if we thought that the outworking of this series or this talk or this conversation was um, to find a conclusion over whether women should preach in church, right? Whether um, the, the limits of this conversation is just about leadership for women in the church context. Because, you know, the, the church and, and what we speak over women and men in our lives has implications, right? It has ripple effects throughout culture and throughout society. And we see this false identity um, given to women having impacts on access to healthcare, access to financial independence, access to education, access to human rights. And it is an issue of life and death all over our world. The, the famous feminist writer Gloria Steinman writes about how in America, since um, 9-11, for the 10 years after 9-11, um, more women were killed by their husbands and partners than all the people in America in that time period who died because of wars, including those who died in 9-11, which is just horrific. But um, a writer and comedian Heidi Schreck caveats this stat by pointing out to us that this isn't um, the the stat of all the women who were killed by men in that decade. This is the women who were killed by men who were meant to love them mm. and care for them. Yeah, that. Whew, yeah, that is something else, isn't it? Mm. Wow. And you know what? I think this is both on that big picture, like scale of, of, of violence, and like you say, those kind of basic human rights that women are denied access to, and a kind of face problems with. But it also, I think, it often begins in like 
stereotypes as we talked about today like begin to little comments here and there of men are like this women are like this that are that at its, at its most innocent are just unhelpful things to say that maybe make people feel a bit bad in the moment like but, a bad joke yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 but i think constantly contributing to this division this division that we see since the fall of humanity since we see in that story in genesis 3 and you know what? that is not the identity that we see spoken over men and women by god is it it's not the identity that we've read about and, and heard about today um, and I think, you know, I, I've experienced that. We've experienced that in our marriage a lot. Like, you know, you work um, longer hours than I do, particularly in coronavirus life. That's been a thing. Um, you earn a lot more than I do. Um, and uh, your work's been busier. So I've ended up cooking a lot more in our marriage. And, Most of the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's great for you, isn't it? And I do love, I do love cooking as well. But um, this really surprises people. Like, yeah. like relatives of ours, friends of ours are like, but Sarah supervises you, doesn't she? Like she like checks what you're cooking before you give it to her, and you know, as if she, as if people think I'm just going to give her like an uncooked chicken breast. You know what I mean? Like, um, and again, like quite innocent but unhelpful. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I would say that I, I went to an all boys school growing up, but um, that was really unhelpful for my perception of women. That is not where you get God's view of woman as uh, easy connectors. That is a whole different kind of kind of process of like objectification and, and sort of dehumanization of, of women and over sexualization of women as objects that I've really struggled to kind of undo some of that thinking and challenge some of that thinking in myself. And there's been other things that, that I've had to kind of counter through the kind of cultural upbringing that I've had. And I'm, you know, same for you as well as, as a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And even from like the get go of when we got married, um, yeah. I don't know if you've ever looked at the kind of corny merch and um, merch and mugs, lots of mugs yeah. um, that people buy newly married couples. And um, we had, um, a parent see them loads in the shops where it's like Mr. Right and Mrs. Always Right <laughs> and the, the like sort of sub- subversive thing there is like that's meant to be kind of empowering towards the woman yeah. but it's just like digging into this divide between yeah, the yeah, two yeah, sexes yeah. that is actually detrimental to both it's detrimental to to that unity that God intends between the sexes isn't it and if from the get-go and um, we're speaking over the relationship between men and women not just in marriage we're saying you know like it's about being more right than him it's about being you know one step ahead in, in a competition like mm. that's that's just detrimental to me no like you said it is about reconciliation and unity isn't it it's about the restoration of that kind of creation identity mm. that god first spoke over us before anything else was said over men and women that's what we're kind of pressing towards isn't it as as a, yeah. as a community um i just reminded of two corinthians 5 uh, verses 16 to 20 21 Um, where it says from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded Christ in this way we do so no longer therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old has gone and the new is here all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God and this message of reconciliation, this ministry of reconciliation, as Paul describes it there, that applies to all of humanity, doesn't it? It applies to that image of, of us returning to our kind of original state in, in creation where one day that God will restore everything to its original purpose. That message is what, what we're looking at when it comes to men and women. We want to see that message of hope, of original identity and purpose spoken over each other as men and women. We don't want to be fighting against each other. These two tribes going to war as Frankie goes to Hollywood. said it in that song. <laughs> 
Um, that is, you know, there's both a lifelong implication for us in, in, in challenging injustices and all of that stuff, of course, but this is a, a gospel issue. This is something that's been plaguing men and women since the fall. And that's what we are contending for. We're saying, you know, what, this is an eternal vision that we will see men and women reconciled in Christ. We want to proclaim that and believe that we will see that breaking out as the kingdom of God is established here on earth. Yeah, and that ministry of reconciliation, it kind of has two parts when you unpack it, and it and reconciliation is sort of forgiveness and repentance coming yeah. together in harmony. This isn't about revenge over a dominant sex. Um, it, it's about working our way back to that originally intended identity um, and relationship that God had for men yeah. and women at the very beginning. Um, and we want to flourish as men and women because of our championing of one another and not despite of one another. Um, so I'd love it if we pray into that now. Yeah, Father God, we come before you now and we bring before you any memories of hurt that we have carried. Memories of your word being misused and of your church speaking a false identity over who you have made us to be as men and women, over our authority, over the calling you have placed on our lives, over the ability for us to use the gifts you have given us, Lord. Heal those wounds so that we can step into that God-given identity and be a church that is walking in your truth and not in brokenness. And Father, we want to bring before you any guilt that we carry. Memories of where we have been complicit in causing division, in using this false identity for men and women. We receive your mercy and your forgiveness afresh and we choose to live in your grace, to live in the truth of who you created us to be. Thank you, God, that, that you are our true north. Lead us in reconciliation. Make us champions for each other, God, and help us sharpen one another and build each other up, speaking the same true identity over each other as you first spoke over Adam and Eve. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.